to episode 180 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles. This week on the show, Carl Choi, founder and CEO of The Great Company, um, a, a great friend of the show. I've uh, been meaning to have Carl on for uh, a couple of years now. Uh, great Company is uh, one of the producers of Delusion. They are they just opened up a new space, uh, which is where Chained was uh, taking place. Uh, Carl goes back uh, a long way, and uh, there's you're going to get the history of it. So uh, we talked before uh, the holiday break. Um, we kind of went here, we kind of went there. It's a it's a good one. Um, stick around for that. Let's do the 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 business stuff uh, and get a couple of announcements in as well of some exciting things that are happening. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you and our friends at Thymeli Arts in Los Angeles who provide NoPro with co-working space. You'll notice I said the NoPro Studio uh, as opposed to NoPro Headquarters because NoPro Headquarters is now at Thymeli. Uh, even if most of the work still gets done at my kitchen table, um, uh, like this recording right now, and you can hear my neighbors uh, wasting water yet again if you listen close. Listen, hear that? Hear that? That That's some wasting water. Um, I know it's winter, but it's uh, Southern California. This is a desert. I wish they would stop. Um, Thymeli. This is supposed to be about Thymeli, not about my neighbors. Thymeli Arts is an 8,000 square foot loft with multiple rehearsal rooms, a dance studio, reserved office, and shared workspace. That's that's what we have. Um, it's located right off the 101 on the corner of Santa Monica and Western, and uh, that means it's it's in reach to Hollywood, Glendale, Studio City, downtown. Uh, it's it's right there in East Hollywood, uh, and there's there's a little parking lot underneath the building, uh, quite convenient. Um, Thymeli is also where uh, there's there's just a lot of art stuff happening there all the time. It's a fringe venue. Uh, Leia holds its town halls there. Um, Leia held its workshop there. Uh, I know Derek Spencer is holding a, a ceaseless fun is holding like a, a jam there on the regular basis uh, starting this month. Um, it's it's a hub. It's an arts hub. Um, uh, odds are uh, there even there's even shows shows you you know and love uh, uh, that you didn't know were being rehearsed at Thymeli all the time happens. It's the center of our universe. All right. Um, hey, uh, there's a thing happening. If you're listening to this on Friday, January 4th, tomorrow is No Pro Live at Two Bit Circus in the Arts District in Los Angeles. And here's the lineup. We've got the lineup now. Brent Bushnell and Eric Gradman of Two Bit Circus. They're going to kick it off. Lauren Ludwig and Monica Miklas of Capital W. Josh Randall of Blackout and Two Bit Circus. Tommy Haunton of Stash House and Steve Boyle of Epic Immersive. Um, everyone's going to have like three seconds to say something. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we're, we haven't done this live before. We haven't done this format before. Um, we're, we're winging it. We're winging it. Uh, Anthony's going to be, uh, my co-host and announcer. Chris Porter is going to do the music live. Um, we're going to have a blast. Uh, we're starting the show 
Uh, we want everyone to really be ready to go around two o'clock. We're starting the show probably by two fifteen, hopefully. Um, no, we'll definitely start by two fifteen. <laughs> two bit itself is opening at one, so if you want to come by early, we'll open the doors probably about one forty-five. Start getting people seated, uh, and then we'll uh, after the show we're gonna be slipping into everything immersive office hours, which will go on till five o'clock. So if you can't make the show, feel free to swing on by anyway. It's going to be, um, we've, got, we've got a couple of things planned. It's probably worth being there. Um, if you want to RSVP, uh, the Facebook event, just click going. All right. Just click going. If you intend to be there, uh, we will we will try to prioritize the people who clicked going, right? <laughs> Making the Facebook thing count. If you hit going, will be like, oh, yeah, you're going. Like, we, we see there's a whole bunch of people. We're like, oh, there's there's more people than we thought there were going to be. We'll be like, we're going to prioritize the people who click going. I'm just going to say click going one more time. Okay, just one more time. Click it. Click it, I dare you. Um, anyway, I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. Patreon.com slash Nopersinium, uh, which is the next thing on the list. Um, so we're back down to, to 1,230. Um... We, we wanted to go past the, the 1250. We wanted to push towards 13, and we're slipping backwards. Um, no big dropouts. A uh, couple of $1 uh, here and there and like a $5 here and there. Uh, just, you know, uh, uh, the ba- 2018 was rough. 2018 was rough. It, uh, it looked like we were going to get, and then, then, then the engines died. So 2019. Or we start off stronger than we started at the beginning of 2018, but um, honestly, uh, this this is this is this is the shot, all right. This is the this is the year where it's the difference between um, this is a hobby that uh, that I have to put in its place, and this is what we do. So here we go. Last chance. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. The sustaining backers of Patreon, of uh, Patreon, <laughs> of No Persinian, are Jan Bubbin, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth, whose names I was able to remember without looking at anything the last time we did this. All right. Hey, that's all you need to know right now. Let's uh, get into the show. <laughs> It's always cool. just a conversation. What's it's up, just, man? Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Greyco. Yeah. Greyco HQ. Greyco, the new Greyco HQ. Yeah, 2.0. I mean, it's been uh, quite a journey, and we're finally here. So for those who don't know Greyco, um, and I'm going to try not to look. It's funny, because like now that I'm, because I, I forgot my headphones, I'm like watching the meters a lot more than I normally would. It's all so. good. It just makes this interview extra special. <laughs> it's like, it's like no one's just staring at a screen the entire time. Like, what the hell is going on? Um, what's... For those who don't know, what is Great Co? So besides a uh, big promoter of Girl Scout cookies and yeah, chocolate-covered almonds. And whole cashews, which Great was, Co, ooh, uh, Yeah, we, nice. we are an experiential studio. What the heck does that mean? Uh, for us, we believe in uh, narrative-driven, immersive installations. I think the immersive came probably a little later. Uh, but we have two sides as of today. Uh, we have our service side and we have our kind of original side. Uh, but ultimately, our ultimate vision is to be the world's leading producers of meaningful shared experiences. All right. That's a solid enough mission statement right there. And right now, some of, some folks might know you 
presently because you you guys are involved in delusion. Sure. Uh, and Chained is happening on the ground floor of your headquarters sure. right now. So you're playing host to that production out of Madison Wells. Of course. How did you how did you wind up in this world? Because I, I know this story, sure. but the listeners don't know this story. So maybe you could take us back to the beginning for starters. How far in the beginning? Well, I mean, a little bit about like bef- even a little bit before, like yeah, you know, you know, like it's, it's, who uh, you were before you you stumbled in this strange world. Sure, I mean, um, yeah. So I, I I turned forty this year, and it's pretty interesting as I look back in life. I would say my life has been segmented into kind of decade long career paths, and it's really interesting because the first two decades in my twenties and thirties really inform who I am today and what I'm doing now. Uh, I'll say kind of the first one was uh, in my 20s, start events promotion company, which mostly focused around nightclubs and the nightlife world. Uh, we expanded to about 14 cities and um, did about 500 plus events a year. And uh, it was really fun. And honestly, it was a bit of a chaotic time of my life. Uh, had a lot of fun, but it was one of those times where if I ever passed, if I ever like passed out one day and, and just was the last day of my life. It would have just been like disco balls, strobe lights, and lots of shots. Right. And so that was that. Was that. Um, in my 30s, uh, fell into artist management. And so fell in love with a couple of artists that were mostly in music and then later on on film and TV and uh, decided to start a management company. Uh, later became a label as well, but we had offices here and in Hong Kong. And so at that time, it was really fun because I got to, you know, work with really creative individuals, uh, understand their visions and help them execute on those visions. And um, that was quite the learning experience. And, you know, now in this new decade, I found myself in this world of the immersive and kind of starting all over again in a way, but kind of bring something a little different to the table. And um, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's been quite the new journey, but how I got into the immersive world I think it was very organic, to be honest. Um, back in 2013, I think for me, uh, at kind of the wit's end of, I guess, my personal journey in the music industry, I think the, the world of management just is evolving a lot mm-hmm. because artists themselves, the internet has created such a huge platform for information and just the need to understand your own business that I felt like the, the management role has shifted and kind of I myself, in a way, had to evolve out of it. Mm. And so in the midst of all that, like or, in the, the, like that the artists are kind of handling or required yeah, to be entrepreneurs got, of themselves. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's kind of more, more so entrepreneurship than, than artistry. Yeah. You know, kind of mm. coming into, you know, the second 10 years of the two thousands. Right. And so I think for us, we at some point ran about several years with some of these artists as kind of co-entrepreneurs but I think the shrinking of the music industry didn't allow that, that to be a, a proper venture for anyone. Mm. So myself included, along with a bunch of other friends that were in management, pretty much you know, moved out of the business. Some went to marketing, some went to their own consulting gigs, some went to digital, you know, some went straight joined the labels. And so myself, I always loved working with brands and I went back to a default, just throwing events Hmm. and I always love bringing people together. And so, um, one of the folks that I met during this time of my transition was Rick Lover at the National Academy of Sciences, uh, science entertainment exchange, and they do a bunch of events. And what they actually do is they 
bring world-class scientists together with Hollywood writers and directors. And um, their goal is really just to help Hollywood writers and directors tell authentic stories that has foundations of science. And um, one of the first events we really kind of nerd out on was in 2015, uh, October 21st was when Mario McFly arrived to the future. And we said, hey, let's figure out something to do. And we did some research and realized no one was doing anything. And so we said, oh my God, we have to do something. <laughs> so we basically threw this event at our old uh, Great Co HQ1, um, where we basically decked out our two-story building into like a clock tower. We created this whole, you know, Doc Brown's lab. And the Doc Brown's lab had a photo booth that was a green screen where you could take a picture of you and your friends disappearing, you know, and you'll get a, a picture of, you know, disappearing Mario McFly's family. And we had like the 13 oh. feet speaker. We were the only one in town that had a couple of cases of Pepsi Perfect. Uh, we had, you know, Pepsi sent us their historical bottles collection and we were able to showcase that. Then at some point throughout the night, we opened up to the Enchantment of the Sea dance and we were able to get Rick Carter there and we got to honor Rick Carter, you know, for his work on production designs. And uh, we had the band play. We, you know, had a bunch of different brands involved at the time because we were actually working with all these brands. And so it was really interesting because at that event, was where a lot of new opportunities came up, mm. uh, one of them being Marvel. So uh, Jeremy Lycom, who was the producer of the Avengers, was at that event and called us into uh, the Marvel offices. And at that meeting, uh, Kevin Feige shows up and says, hey, Carl, we want you to do something like you did for that event for Marvel, but 10 times bigger. So we went off and that was kind of like our journey of servicing the movie studios. And that's kind of how Great Coke really got involved with this whole world. Um, and that's yeah. and that's even on the on the sort of I'm still like the immersive theater facing side of it. That kind of relationship moved you guys into the horror rewind, which on the night of that was when I met you, and that's when you yeah. had John Braver in, you know, doing the Fox thing. That was uh, not this past Halloween, but the Halloween 2017. Sure, and so that's where you connected with them, and then you know wound up being part of delusion going forward yeah no braver so, was a little before that actually oh really yeah in oh. 2014 actually honestly um 2014 was probably one of the worst and best years of my life <laughs> i went from you know having a company of you know 15 employees to almost at the verge of bankruptcy at the beginning of that year Oof. and that was the year i met my wife and that was the same year I met John Braver, which I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> who are competing roles at the time of my life currently. Yeah. Um, but um, two marriages. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was really interesting because sometimes you look back and you feel like, man, like the world's falling apart. But some of the most significant relationships in your life, you actually come across because you are who you are. You don't have nothing else. You don't have anything shooting you from who you are mm. and so you can only be yourself and it was really cool that that's the year that i met john as well but yeah over the years we we i was just a huge fan i went to lies within mm -hmm. um we had no idea what we were getting into my wife lost her phone in the midst of uh the experience and then uh i think it was kevin williams who like brought it out to her afterwards and it was hilarious and it was just such an impression because our friends just invited us on a double date. And I think that was my wife and my first double date. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and her and I always talk about this and, you know, she'll be like, oh, so interesting how like, you know, it was just several years back where you were such a fan and you emailed John and he said, how can I help? 
And so I remember John coming over to our space and then we just had like a really long chat, gave him a tour of our vision, what we're doing. And then we uh, stayed in touch. I would, you know, send him venues, send him warehouses. How can I help? How can I help? And we even tried to, you know, bring him into some of these brand deals we're doing. We actually went to Sundance together because mm. at one point we we're trying to get a couple brands to buy in on this whole immersive world. And so we set up this panel on at Sundance at the Pepsi house. And so we had uh, John there. We had, um, I think, Nick over at Victory Hill at the time. Mm. Uh, and we all just flew to Sundance and had a great time. And so, yeah, it was several years later, uh, 2017, where then uh, Fox wanted to do something during the Halloween season. And uh, it just happened that Delusion wasn't happening that year. And so initially, we were just actually asking John for some recommendation on the build side, which then, uh, you know, Kevin came in. And then eventually, you know, who I know, like the whole family of Delusion joined the crew. Oh, yeah. And it was like a mini, yeah. del- it was basically a mini. It was delusion, hilarious. It was so know? funny. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, yeah, they were basically, you know, co-producing on that whole project. And yeah, after that, I mean, John and I just spent a lot of time together talking about our dreams and visions. And it just happened that it aligned because for us, a lot of the stuff we would build, people would always ask us, hey, like, so how long is this happening? And I'll be like, oh, just tonight. I'll be like, just tonight. And then and so like, <laughs> why aren't you, why aren't you doing this? And then, yeah, it's real because you put a lot of time and effort and your yeah. heart into it. And, and, you know, months and months go into these experiences, but then they happen from one night. Yeah. And then you're breaking down, um, you know, the next day and you're kind of like, dang, what the heck did that go, you know? And so, yeah. So when the opportunity to kind of help John realize a bigger vision with the Blue Blade, it was uh, definitely ambitious for both of us to kind of take on this venture, but um, yeah, it was well worth it. And I've learned a lot. And that, and that seems to have kind of pushed you directionally as well, like moving into this this world. Because you and I talk about this stuff all yeah. the time, and and I'm just kind of, I guess I'm kind of curious, like how do you see Great Co, particularly because you're you do have these this history of throwing events and this history with brands, you know, how do you see great coal evolving into this immersive frontier, which I don't know. it's like, we're still in the big bang. Like things haven't cooled down yet. Yeah. Right? Molecules are still forming, let alone, you know, entire substances or planets. Like we're, we're, it's that early on in everything, even though it's been going on for years, like everyone's still just figuring this out. So uh, yeah, where, where are you, where are you seeing things right now? What's your, what's your 50,000 foot take on stuff? Sure. I mean, I think, I think we've talked about this before as well. I think as an industry, I would love to, you know, make sure Great Co has a role in helping it commercialize in a way, um, increasing the audience size. I think right now, um, you know, as we see myself included, most people who are producing these immersive experiences is not doing it as their full-time job. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I love doing and producing these immersive experiences, I feel like for me, like I do stretch. And during this last season, I told my, you know, a lot of my friends that I'm working two full-time jobs. And so I'm sure everyone in the industry can relate. And so I think, you know, my vision and, and, and where I feel like we can go is at one point be able to help figure out the model in a way that, um, 
people can actually do this as like their nine to five or nine p.m. to five a.m. Yeah, right. At least, <laughs> and so I think that would be the dream, That's more right? Realistic. No. We're 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 far, but not that far. I right. think I think we we just need a couple things to hit. I think um, market size. That's number one, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny because it's like it's not. It feels like it's part of the issue is that it's not evenly distributed, and part of the issue is that you know, even defining it, like where, where does immersive end and something else begin, right? Like are escape rooms really part of mm. this? I would say to some degree, yes. Like sure. the VR stuff, like, is it really a part of it? I, the LBE, obviously, I mm. mean, Chained kind of yeah. proves that down below. And then you get stuff like Sleep No More, which has been, you know, going on for years and has a pretty healthy scale and now has, a unit in Shanghai and has mm-hmm. for a year. Um, and so it, th- those, those things are tested. The question is kind of, is there enough sustainably good material, mm. right? Can there be more, can there be more than one city in a country that has this stuff running on the regular and have them be real hits? Mm. And I think we're still at the point where New York has th- the verified, long running hits and you know, I mean, San Francisco's got, San Francisco's got the speakeasy, but like, you know, they're, they're changing things up. Right. You know, I know they have some nights where they go dark and, and then here we haven't in delusion with the blue blade. It's sort of the first time we're getting a chance to test. Oh, what happens when something goes well beyond Halloween Mm. season? Right. Uh, maybe we got a little bit of hint of that with the willows last year, but not, but that's not even at the same scale because like Willows is like 18 people, maybe twice in one night, maybe three, four nights a week, you know, for a couple of months and then dark and then a couple of months and then dark and not exactly the same thing as here's a show that's running and running and running and running. So this is, this is, it's scary, but exciting at the same time for, for the blue blade to be, reopening in february right yeah you yeah. could definitely say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> that makes yeah exciting at the same time I and mean, i i think it would help us kind of establish um a presence in a, in a unique way because i do feel like if this works it, it's going to encourage a lot of other folks to make a similar attempt and i think if uh there's a variety of content available for consumers to be part of um, you know, there'd be a number of different gateways to help increase the market size. And I think that's really what it's about. Yeah. And so, yes, I think the business we're in now, it's traditionally been a seasonal product. And to be honest, I think there's a lot of folks that has advice against John and I expanding into this thing with the team. But uh, we've had a lot of encouragement from the team as well. And we believe in the product. And so, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been, we've been feeling a lot of support from the community as well. So yeah. that, that's been super, that, that's a great part. So it's not like we're alone. Yeah. I think people have, have, uh, you know, reached out to help. People have offered a lot of ideas to help expand the marketplace. Cause honestly, we're all in this together. I think how many, how many times have we all gone to different experiences and just run into each other? Oh. Cause we're like the audience, right? Yeah. But I think we're at a place now where we've all had enough kind of sweat equity and it's, it's truly like you, John, everyone else more than me. I think I'm, I'm relatively a newbie in this whole space. Um, but I, I do feel like, um, there's a good opportunity to really expand the marketplace. But what are your thoughts? I actually want to, um, 
Yeah. So one of the things I, I, I told Noah was, um, I actually want to take some time to interview him a little bit on this, on this thing. Cause at the end of the day, I think there's oh a, a good scenario where, you know, I'm a total newbie. This guy's been around since the beginning, oh, and since the beginning. close to the beginning. And uh, I think when you five say, years now. Five yeah, years. no pro, I mean, five years is, it's just, just in time. And yeah. so we'd love to like get, get your backstory a little bit. Well, I know we've talked a little bit before, but I think it'd be good too. Well, I've, I mean, I've given my backstory enough times on here, but like, um, and we refer to people, maybe the, the best short version is like the, the Denver thing that I did a couple of, couple of months back. Oh, yeah. There's like the beginning of that one's pretty good. But I mean, it's interesting right now looking at, looking at this, you know, this first five years of no pro and kind of where the sticking points are and, and, and where the, the growth points are. I mean, there's so much interest from the creative side. I think the funniest thing to me is I will occasionally see articles, usually articles that are written outside of one of the major markets referring to artists like somewhere small-ish, smaller, um, when they're doing immersive and, and how... Uh, you get typified as like, oh, like immersive was this buzzword that was really sure. big a couple of years ago in New York and now it's passe. And I read that and I'm just like agog because we've barely begun. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we tracked something like over 500 since April when we started the North American newsletter, we tracked over 500 experiences and events mm -hmm either that were or are related to immersive um, in what that's like nine months, sure. right? Um, that to me shows, and that's like all around the country. And that, and that to me shows that things are just starting to bubble up, right? Like there are some people who are making work for a long time, whether it's a John or a Justin Fix or Third Rail Projects or someone like Brian Cloudis out in, in Atlanta, um, who's got like, you know, he's, he's starting to export his stuff. So he's got uh sleepy hollow experience, which they first did at Serembe, which is a playhouse that he's the artistic mm. director of. And now they've ex this past year, they did it again in, uh, outside of Atlanta, not at Serembe, but somewhere else, but they also did it in sleepy hollow and they also did it in Ohio. Mm. So like the, the play got put up in three different places oh, yeah. and, and that, is something that I think is really interesting uh, to think about is, you know, this stuff, because it happens in locations, mm. if you can't build something that can service 300 people in a night, well, how do you build enough instances of it so you can service 300 people in a night? You know, like yeah. it doesn't just have to be, I mean, look, if movies only showed at one theater in Los Angeles. Like if Star Wars yeah. was only at the Chinese, it would run in perpetuity because everyone didn't have a chance to see it yet. Yeah. Instead, Star Wars and opens it opens wide, right? I mean, maybe it opens too wide, you know, like that can that can be a problem. It's on 3000 screens and so some screens are going to have two people at it and some screens are going to be completely packed. So you want to find that sweet spot. Uh, and we haven't built that part of the infrastructure out yet, right? There's no there's no easy model. And just like you were saying about this, the work you guys have done, the one night work you've done in the past, 
you know, same thing for like Comic-Con, mm. right? Like all that effort goes into making, you know, Castle Rock or the DC universe experience. And it's there for a few days yeah. and it gets the buzz and then gone for all time. Speaking of Comic-Con, yeah. I remember having some good conversations oh, about comic books. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring that up myself. Like, the, the, Marvel thing, the Marvel thing I was, gonna, I was just going to know, it's like, I was, no accident they wound up with you because like yeah, giant nerd. Bit here. of a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> like the first time, first Carl and I, the first time we went to go like talk immersive, instead we talked about comic books for, ni- for like 90 minutes. The whole time. Yeah. We did not talk about immersive at all. Well, hello, boys. Hey. Justin Denton and Ethan Stearns have chained or walking up the stairs and just waving grins on their faces. Um, the um, well, I'm like, yeah, stuff like this. Are they stealing beer? What are you guys stealing? Yeah, they're stealing stuff. Yeah. as <laughs> always, that's what happens thieves, usually. Thieves, <laughs> let these thugs in. Um, <laughs> but um, well, see, just something like that, right? Where it's like, you know. The Madison Wells guys are downstairs. You're up here. Like there's this, we're still in this mode where it's the salad days and people are still bouncing ideas off of each other creatively and people are starting to kind of coalesce. I mean, one of the things we found with IDS this year was just the interest had, um, the the interest had had easily doubled, Hmm. right? Or more so, right? Like we got, we got way more applications in, um, and that creates its own problems. Where I mean, the biggest problem we have as an emerging domain is we can't service everyone who would like to be serviced. Mm. You know, there's you know, chains experiencing that. There's way more demand than there is supply, and that's a great problem to have for. A while, but at a certain point, if you can't get the supply up, then people just lose interest because they're not going to wait around forever to yeah. go do that thing. You know, um, it's funny though because we look at, say, the themed entertainment industry. We look at Disneyland and all those, and I mean, they're having a similar issue, right? Like they, they. I'm super curious what's going to happen because from what I'm hearing, like Marvel and Star Wars lands, yeah, are going to have a lot more immersive. Yeah, you know, choose your own adventure type. They're they're working those angles, but also they still got to get people through the turnstiles, yeah. and and you know the 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 more involved stuff takes more time to kind of transmit yeah. to folks. There's sure. that, but also what there's there's these crazy estimations that like you know, an extra 200,000 people are going to send upon Disneyland on opening day for Star Wars oh land. God. And I'm like, that doesn't, that math doesn't work at all. Like, like I don't think you can fit that many people in the park. Um, and, and so it's like a nine hour, you know, wait to get on the Millennium Falcon. It's like, that's not going to be fun for I'll watch on TV. Right. Right. You know, like, okay, I'll just watch the opening yeah, day special. Exactly. I remember the opening day specials. That's what I used to do. Back actually. in the day. Yeah. yeah. They're opening Star Tours. I'll watch it on ABC, you know, um, tonight on the Disney Sunday movie. Um, but, um, the, the, the theme park business is doing gangbusters mm. because, the the value of screened entertainment is you know next to nothing now, right? Yeah. A movie doesn't stay in the theaters. I mean, what? Venom came out in October. It's December. It's already on Blu-ray. Actually, Venom was one of the the longer was, days. Yeah, and actually. Venom was a hit. Yeah, it was actually a hit, and yeah. I think 
I actually don't think they were able to put as much uh, dollars into the initial promotion as they did even for home video. They did big events for the home video. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, home videos obviously activated by how they perform in the box office. Yeah. And so I actually feel like, yeah, it, it just worked. I mean, also Venom, speaking of Venom, it's such a huge fan base. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is, there is a lot of that parallel I see in their immersive space. I do feel like even with, you know, however the space as we are today, it kind of reminds me of like as a kid growing up comic, you know, reading comic books and like, following like the likes of like Frank Miller or mm. like, you know, Alan Moore and like what they're doing. Like these guys are the ones like having their titles. Yeah. And then you have kind of like a, a gym shooter who like would come and like bring the Valiant universe together and kind of cross-reference heroes. You know, I think in a way, you know, I think, I think the names in immersive is kind of set up in a very similar space. And I think yeah. now it's materializing in much more of a 4D physical form. Wow, you know, when we were growing up, reading on pages is now digital, right? Yeah. And so I think all the stories that are being told, I think, will be kind of the foundation of what's to come. Um, we just don't know what the interpretation of that will look like, you know, well, in the I, future. And I think a lot of it's, you know, people are still trying to figure out how to tell stories mm -hmm. this way. I mean, sometimes folks stumble into it and it's perfect right off the get go. But you know, we saw this problem with first 3D movies and then with VR, we have filmmakers coming in and they're trying to tell a 2D story in a 3D world yeah. and it doesn't work like that. Um, and it's not immediate results and things don't scale really rapidly. But I think that sometimes it's because we're, you know, they're, the solutions that are found are often old solutions, but they're not solutions like in the genus line you would think, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's because someone suddenly looked to comic books or someone suddenly looked to role-playing games or they looked to like puppet theater or something sure. and found, oh, this thing is what solves the problem that we've got um, in terms of getting people through and scaling it up. Or the very fact that people are making work and sharing it kind of person to person uh, and that it's a lot more about small groups of people kind of entertaining each other though you might have the role-playing games like you know someone down the line in role-playing games makes money and that yeah that someone some, is hasbro for sure yeah, right exactly. you know because of <laughs> they own wizards of the coast who own dungeons and dragons right? also economies you know? of scale right i mean for yeah. them they've been able to have a distribution platform in a way that you know touches enough consumers to be able to sustain the huge operations to build and develop and expand those worlds. Yeah. I think for us right now, you know, unless there was like a Medici family that shows up and <laughs> falls in love with immersive, um, you know, I think right now is do everyone taking big risk yeah. to break even, you know, and that's just on the financial investment, right? Well, and well, I think there's something to be learned. I do think something learned from the old TSR days um, of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Which is you had this independent publishing company mm. and they, they made a product that was 
easy enough to scale. And that's a book, right? A book's an easy thing sure. to scale. You just print more, right? And there were modules and you could just keep on, you just kept on adding content to the spine of this thing. But the core thing were those red boxes and then the, <laughs> and then the, and then the AT and D books, right? Or time traveling on this, on this podcast. Right. But by giving by giving the tools and putting the tools in the hands of lots of people, they created a marketplace, right? And I, I see some similarities in terms of what's going on with us right now, hmm. is if we can get the tools in the hands of more people, then more work gets made. As more work gets made, they become more fans. Fans demand quality, hmm. and then the quality leads to scale, right? I think that we could get to a point, not even, this is even this is not remotely controversial. We could have something on the scale of Sleep No More in every major market in America, hmm. and so long as it wasn't exactly Sleep No More, like it wasn't just like you know LA has got a Sleep No More, Vegas has a Sleep No More, Houston has a Sleep No More. It's like because like then it's like well it's just Sleep No More, right? Yeah, like a version of Sleep No More. Yeah, like well a, like yeah like a, its own show, right. right? I mean right now there's this idea that you know Vegas will have tension, you know, um, you know LA right now has has blue blade, which mm. is smaller. It's, it's more on the scale of like a, then she fell in terms of how many people go through at a time. But it's actually interesting. Cause like the scale of, of the blue blade, given how many times a night it runs, it's kind of like it's between, uh, sleep no more. And then she fell in terms of how many people it services a night. Right. So, so do you feel like it's a, it's a market density question as well? Because you know, New York is pretty much the only place that, Broadway thrives, right? Right. And so do you feel like, let's say a Sleep No More version 2.0 mm-hmm. opens up in, in Los Angeles with their fan base and their mailing list, would struggle to have ticket sales or would they have the momentum? Because I think even for myself, like when I was in line for Sleep No More, like say just like, a, like three months ago. Yeah talking to everyone in line, you know, I was one of the few folks that were there for the first time. Yeah. And all these people have been there second time, third time. And I was actually really surprised at the $160 price tag up to 360 for a dinner package yeah. that people would return. And when I kind of surveyed who was in the space, it was a lot of folks in advertising, mm-hmm. some folks in finance. And those are two worlds that get paid pretty well in yeah. the city, right? And so it made me kind of wonder at kind of the ticket prices that people are willing to pay for in Los Angeles. Well, we learned some things this year. And, th- and then there's some stuff that's on the regular. So one of the things we learned this year is for the right experience... And for the right audience mm-hmm. member, a hundred fifty dollar ticket is no, it's no barrier. Mm. There are people who went back to theater macabre. Macabre was like one fifty, right? Yeah, it was one fifty. Some people went four or five times. Wow, and that was in the course of a month, mm. right? That's a lot of money all at once. A Disney annual pass is going to run you a grand. Easy, I think, and that was like that's like what I paid the last time I had. Like, yeah, I think that was a while pass. ago. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot more now. Yeah. Um, and with the Star Wars premium, probably a hell of a lot more. So like, sure. I, I don't look forward to what my wallet's going to look like. Oh, so they have a different pass for Star Wars. No, I don't think. Oh, okay. Oh God. Oh my God. I hope I hope they weren't thinking that before. Now, <laughs> if they were thinking that something, because yeah, because they could get away with it. No, sure. uh, no, there'd be a riot on their hands. One of the interesting things about being an annual pass holder was 
walking from uh, Disney to California Adventure and listening to other annual pass holders. And the conversation always went something like this. Oh, did you hear they're going to raise the prices? Yeah, so glad. That's going to get all these people to give up their annual passes. I know, right? Can't wait for there to be less people here. <laughs> and like, you'd wow. walk past like 20 people saying that and you'd just go, ha ha ha, you suckers. You're all going to put the money down because you all think it's going to drive everyone away and the crowds don't budge. My God. Right? Yeah, so, more. so think about how many people are annual pass holders Right. Think about how many people go to Universal. I mean, the, the, the hardest thing would be, does that market um, oversaturate uh, the demand? Does it service, I guess, does, does that market the supply on Universal and Knots and uh, Disney? Does that satisfy the native de- demand here in Southern California for experiential entertainment? Or... Is there a untapped well of desire for for people to have a high quality experience that they can't get at the parks anymore because they're too damn crowded? Hmm. That's what I've been betting on for the past five years. That L.A. and not not Vegas. Vegas Vegas will be able to sustain it, right? Vegas sure. Vegas In because Vegas zone, is tourism, yep. all the tourism stuff like that. LA has a different problem, right? Uh, or a different, or different makeup. And you, I look to when Cirque du Soleil failed here because there was mm. Iris, right? And I mean, that's such a great precursor or, or, or a kind of a negative example on the business side of things. The warning sign for immersive is Iris was a Cirque show at the Dolby, yep. uh, previously the Kodak. Which was a great show. I, I thought it was a great show. I never got to see it. Okay. Um, cause it closed before I could see it. Right. Yeah. But it was also what a, it was a weird place mm. and it was being marketed towards, I think tourists a lot. It was. And tourists don't think about coming to LA to see a show. Right. Um, well they also wrote it along the lines of like the history of Hollywood. Yeah. So it was really fun kind of like Hollywood undertone of like the backstory yeah, and the struggles and that world. And I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. But everyone thought it would just be like, Oh, this will run fine. Cause it's right. Cirque and it didn't. Part of the issue is that if you really want to go see a Cirque show, there's like five of them in Vegas. Sure. Like why would you come to LA? Yeah. If you're a big Cirque fan, you wouldn't. Right. Um, immersive right now in America only has New York. Um, with, you know, little things here and there. But in terms of being, you know, able to serve that many people in a given week, uh, here we do have that audience that is really into the themed side, right? Mm. That dive deep, that, you know, sell out delusion, you know, before it opens every year. And that just says to me that there is this untapped well um it's still got to be the right product it's got to be the right story right you know and there's different paths too right i think we love your insight on this too so there's the you know delusion blue blade which is a destination you go there hit the bar grab some food you know the burgers get get on your adventure (laughs) yes the best burger in town hit the adventure come back grab a burger you know have some drinks again there's that version. There's 
uh, then there's like a consolidated like tuba circus, which mm -hmm. I thought is, is awesome and kind of in the lane of like Area 15. I think they both have the micro amusement park uh, category in them yeah. where they're curators of, you know, different experiences, probably more micro experiences in the context of uh, tuba circus. But for Area 15, like they want like, you know, the, the meow wolves and the delusions in there, right? These are like big experiences. So do you feel, and then there's also then you have kind of the Westfields of the world now that's saying their vision is to become like an experiential hub, right? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, Tommy was just on, a, on CBS this morning this weekend uh, talking about pop-up retail. And, sure. you know, he got on because of the Museum of Selfies and everything. So, no, I mean, retail like that's that's yeah it's not the Demetici's. Exactly. It's, it's not it's not the Demetici's. it's going to be the westfields and the caruso's yeah. like they need bodies into their properties in order to sell all the things that foot traffic sells right, right? you know like to to a retail outlet to to a retail real estate person you know the Apple store is the single most valuable thing because it does the most business, Traffic, right? Exactly. Traffic wise, you know, like per square inch or square foot, right? Does the most sales. Um, the natural, yeah, these are the actual natural competitors uh, for attention and immersive are Apple stores, restaurants, and uh, cannabis dispensaries. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's happening. These are, these are the things that are, that are the, the true competitors. Where's the cannabis-driven immersive experience? The people have those. <laughs> oh, yeah. People nice, do. Really? There's even some cannabis-driven horror ones oh, like, that have been experienced. Yeah. I have no, no idea. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're, they're out there. Um, they're, they're, some of them are... There's, you know, there's, there could be issues around there. Okay. It's like, well, is that... Yeah. Is that really all that safe? Um, but, um, you know, to, to each their own. Uh, so, yeah, curious. Like, which direction do you think, of, or, or a combination of all of it? I, I mean, I think a really healthy, a healthy marketplace is going to have some combination of mm. all of it. Because it looks a lot more like, it, I mean, Part of it's that, you know, people won't necessarily see some things as the same thing, the way that we maybe don't see the VR and the escape rooms and the theater as the same thing right now. Mm. But on the back end of it, right, we're using the same tools and we're even sourcing things the same way. It's the same designers going in, they're solving a different set sure. of problems, right? And so everyone on our creative side and our operation side, like we're going to make the money no matter which form it takes. Like, do we go in and into the Americana put a, you know, four escape room room like thing to replace uh, the Cheesecake Factory if the Cheesecake Factory ever goes under, right? right. So it's like there's going to be a restaurant with escape rooms in it where the Cheesecake Factory was because, you know, the CEO of the Cheesecake Factory like mismanages <laughs> like the, the cream cheese supply or something like that, right? You know. Um, That's pretty fun, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or. Or more to the point, like and this, this one actually hurt me. If Barnes and Noble goes under, like, what do you do with that three-story oh Barnes boy. and Noble, oh boy. right? Yeah. You know, what do we do with all the Toys R Uses? You know, what do we do with these these kind of anchor stores in these sure. different places? And we can get experiential into spots like that, hmm. whether that's a dreamscape or a void, or it's you know an escape room, you know, company, or it's something like. You know, a, a delusion mm. could could be 
packed into there and, and built out kind of modular. Um, I think when you get a critical mass of them and you have something like Area 15 where you're going to have a whole Meow Wolf there. Like bigger. That's exciting. I'm yeah. a fan of Area 15. Yeah. I feel, yeah. Which, which is going to be bigger than the Meow Wolf that exists now, but not as big as the one that's mm-hmm. going to be in Denver. And then Area 15 is going to have other stuff, and that's going to, going to draw people in. Sure. Um, and those become the anchor stores, right? Because there's other things you're going to do that night. You know, you're going you're gonna to go get exactly, it gets back to the destination. But like yeah. the attraction may not be, it may not be all in one. But I think there's also, there's a mode for, there's a mo- mode for singular buildings. Like the McKittrick is a great model in that they've got Sleep No More. They've got the gallows green up on the roof. They've got secondary spaces where they sometimes pop up smaller shows. Uh, they've got a couple of bars. Like there's a lot of entertaining you can do. And then it's a really the venue, right? Sure. And whether or not you're going to the show isn't entirely secondary, but there's other stuff to do. The same way that as an AP for Disney, like it was never about the rides for me. It was about being there, just being there. And sometimes I would go and work. I'd take my laptop down Mm. and I'd go sit at the Grand Californian and I'd work for a while. And then when I couldn't write anymore, think anymore, I'd pop my laptop into a locker and I'd go get on California screaming twice in a row, clear my head and then go back to working. That sounds like a fun day. It was a great day. perfect day. day. Yeah. (laughs) You see that stuff all the time before I was constantly in this. Like what is, what what (laughs) do you think um, McKendrick did, did right? The sleep no more model. Like, was there any secret sauce that, that uh, on, a, on, a, on a business level that allowed them to create sustainability so early? Or maybe not. Maybe they had some, you know, additional real estate play. I mean, what was the play there that allowed, I'm, I'm saying the business play. Right. That allowed them to sustain for so long and, and continuously grow. I don't know what deal they had to get that building. Mm. Right. So there's that. There's always that. Um, rent's a real issue. And then, it wasn't an issue until recently in LA, until more the last several years. I yeah. felt like the rent has shot up exponentially. Yeah. exponentially. Yeah. So now I think everyone's having such a hard time even finding space yeah. to be able to, to kind of... In fact, actually just uh, thinking about that, that's the reason we have the great co-white space downstairs. Yeah. Is we're realizing a, a lot of really amazing ideas don't get to see the day and light because there's no space for it. Right. Yeah. And so I think for us as kind of a foot, a step forward in helping support the community is to have this white space as almost like a blank canvas for immersive creators to just run trial runs of, yeah. of their ideas. There's, there was a lot of stuff that happened, you know, to get sleep no more off the ground. If memory serves, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, you know, leveraging some labor situations. Like, uh, there was a lot of, I think a lot of the, the black masks were like college mm, type okay. folks, right? Got so it. they're doing super college credit. So there's some, there's some, a lot of volunteering. There's, there's a lot of volunteering. There's still that kind of like, we're going to pull together to like put on a show. Sure. Um, I think it's similar at Mal Wolf too, right? I met a couple of individuals that had cards had titles, but still were like part-time. Yeah, well, and, and right. Meow Wolf's interesting because Meow Wolf's like, like the next generation of something like that and that they started as an arts collective and they've become a business, right? Mm. 
And the other thing, I mean, one of the things about Sleep No More that's interesting is like there's Punch Drunk, which is a creative company, right. and then there's Immersive, which is the the business oh, which holds the it. license on that show. Got it. Um, and that's and then McKittrick is their building, and they can trace their line back. Uh, to things like the box, which was a mm. nightclub, right? So they came, yeah, I've been there, yeah, that's yeah. Great. So yeah. like they came out of that world and they understood, you know, what they're catering oh, to and who yeah. they're catering to. And I think that 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 way of approaching it, thinking about it as not thinking about it as a show, right? Like this is nightlife. This is a thing you do with your friends. This is this is the way that, you know, escape rooms are something you do as opposed to say bowling sure. right, with your friends. It's a night on the town. Like it changes every time, right? Like there's so much to do that it's not like one and done. And I think one of the things that's great about Sleep No More is that it asks something very simple of you, which is to just choose what to follow. It doesn't ask you to like, get super involved in the story. And I know for so many people, like that's something they really, really love. Mm. Um, and, 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 and it I'm, also could be intimidating at, at times. It can for be some, super intimidating. That's and, what I've learned too. And yeah. for, at, I mean, for me, like there's, there's a sweet spot that somewhere between, like, I don't want to feel like I'm doing too much work mm. to at a certain point. If I'm doing so much work, I'm just like, why am I not running this? Thing, right. Right. Like, like if I'm bringing everything to it, what's going on? Like there's there, but if I'm given no agency whatsoever, then I'm also bored. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's this middle ground, Fine but balance. I think, but I think for a lot of people, it's so intimidating to be, um, th like you often get what I hear from so many folks is like, they're like, I don't want to be put in the spotlight. Like they really hate that idea. Whereas they put the mask on the person, go wherever you want to go. Don't say anything. It's like, you're not in the spotlight. You're anonymous. And that brings all kinds of issues with this as well. But you just have to be there. And you just get to see what you want. Like you're flipping channels. And if you get bored, go to the bar. Spend some money and go back in. Right? Um, and then the fact that they've got the rest of the facility. So if you really fall in love with it, you can make it part of your lifestyle. Mm. The way that someone who really loves a nightclub Right, makes sure. it part of their lifestyle. It's true. Right? In fact, I share a lot with you know old friends of mine that I feel like my life these days remind me a lot of my twenties when I used to run nightclubs. Yeah, because it is exactly what you said. It's it's a lifestyle, a lot of hospitality, um, you know, lots of management, lots of just having you know to treat the VIPs a certain way because they're either kind of you know future participants in the business mm -hmm. or they're going to bring a lot more people through or they're going to bring their companies through. And so, yeah, I think that has been a big element of what I'm seeing, that this direction of, of you know immersive experiences going to. It, yeah. It's going to carve itself out to be a part of this kind of nightlife industry. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Because I think that we have this full spectrum. Sure. You know, like we're going to have this, we've got room for incredibly moving artistic things like Rochester 1996, which spools out like an indie movie. And we've got room for big spectacles like Sleep No More. And sure. we've got room for game-like adventures like Delusion. And we've got room for escape rooms and rooms for things like Chained and, and room for the voids of the world. Um, and what's, exciting is when the craft of 
the work is on, again, those skills transfer across. You know, you get someone like Tommy Houghton who's, mm. you know, doing escape room design, but he can also be doing like immersive theater, you know, experience design, and he can be working on something like Museum of Tom, Selfies. Tommy's doing right? so much. Yeah, he's in New York <laughs> right now working on Mortality Machine, right? <laughs> and so, like, you get you get folks doing like the cutting across all these swaths, and then it's just a matter of, you know, I mean, I'm really excited tomorrow night uh, when I'm recording this, uh, recording this on a Tuesday. Tomorrow night I get to go down to Crossroads Escape for the first time and check out Psych Ward, mm. which, you know, it's, where is this now? This is in Orange County. Okay, cool. Um, and they're they're known for the Hex Room, which is considered one of the best escape rooms there is. Uh, and uh, it's, it's uh, Madison and Luke. And their new game is, it's a versus, it's a player versus player experience. So there's puzzles, mm. um, but it's really a game you play with the other people in the room where you're trying into kind of, there's, it feels like there's might be some prisoner's dilemma type stuff. You're trying to figure out who's telling, who's telling the truth and who's lying. Right. And that's oh, going to determine the, the course of it. Well, that also means that every time you play, and, and there are other escape room, well, their, their first escape room, Hex Room, had a similar thing where every time you play, you can be given a different role, right? And here it's just like whether you're one of the insane people or one of the sane people. Mm. Um, you're given a different role, and thus the outcome can be different. And because you're playing with, like in the Hex Room, there's like some number, I think like six or eight, I can't remember how many hexagon, how many sides does hexagon have, right? And thus those six, right? Eight? I can't remember. Uh, everyone's yelling at me right now. I don't care. Um, <laughs> you can only play that game X number of times okay. before you've played it all, right? But uh, with this one, every time you you would go in, right. like you might know the puzzles, but you don't necessarily know who's who's doing what. So hmm. at least that's how it's been explained. This is how Tommy explained it to me, right? Um, I think stuff like that, hmm. where people are focusing on the replayability yeah. of stuff. But at big scale, right? Like, how can you make something... If I can service 150 to 300 people a night, and I can make it so that someone could come back in two weeks or three months, and if not have a fundamentally different experience, then at least have enough things that would be different because of the other people there, or because of variances in the night then I've got something pretty sustainable on my hands. Huh. Is there you know? surveys that, I mean, this may be just a random idea. Have you guys ever done surveys on how often people go back to what experiences? I'd be so oh. curious to know. Cause I, I just, I just find that even idea. just within our conversation, I feel like data would actually help the industry a whole lot because yeah. it makes me wonder like, okay, we have X number of people on our email list, right? For right. let's say delusion. We have X number of people on email list for change, right? I, actually wonder if we cross-reference all the email lists beyond, you know, to creep to like everyone else, how many of us all share an audience or not, right? Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, let's say the number is, you know, 20,000 for right. a particular email list and then is the next list 20, that's 20,000. Does that equal, when yeah. they come together, is that 25,000? Is that 40,000? You know, I'm right. super curious. Yeah. I wonder if like, you know, I think for me, I think I think in, in kind of my personal ongoing quest is because I think 
as a fan and just a lover of this industry, I personally still have a really hard time figuring out how to simply describe it. I find myself having to pull examples from like, you know, probably four of the things that, you know, four mm. of the seven that we just discussed yeah. for someone to, who hasn't been to any of it, who only heard of maybe two of those four that I talked about. Yeah. Understand a little bit of, you know, what I'm talking about when it comes I, to this industry. I so like, I wonder if we'll ever overcome that right? because it's experiential. It's one of those things I used to say it was like sex. It's like, mm. look, I can describe it. I can give you the mechanics. Sure. I can tell you about the chemistry involved. The but just know it's good every time. Anyway, no, but like, um, you can, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, uh, whatever. Um, the, but like until, until just you, trust me <laughs> until you have you don't really know right it and is like, that it is kind of a trust me thing though that's well, why i've noticed there's a, trust, yeah. there's a trust me but there's also like um like you can approximate mm. <laughs> but you you don't really know right? right you can spend and when you're a teenager particularly when you're a teenage boy you spend a lot of time trying to imagine what it is mm. and you get your hands on everything you can to figure out what it is because you're desperate to know but until you cross the line you know like you don't really know sure. right in part because it's something that you know you do with uh or more than uh, another person sure and that changes yeah. the experience in and of itself. Yeah, you know it's funny. I mean, the uh, downstairs chain was was yeah. I just I literally just did it today. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, um, I you know it sounds crazy, but um, actually, our, our our director of production, she was the first one to test it. We were all mm. kind of traveling at the time, and it's just been a busy year. And she was just so excited about it, and and we we just we trust Mary, you know, and yeah. so that's kind of. Step one and then two was, you know, meeting, you know, Christine, Ethan and, and Justin, they were just great people. Yeah. And I think for the, at the end of the day and the philosophy of great company is being in the presence of great company and that's where success is. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2014, it was, that was like my major revelation that at the end of the day is not what you do and not how much success you have like commercially is who you're with. Yeah. And those are the shared memories that dictate your life, right? Yeah. And so that's what I like about you. It's like this, I'm glad we're at this point because like those values, I know we were talking like business earlier, but like they're they're reflected in so like my first experiences of of your space and, and you as a person are, are rooted in this. Yeah, thank you. you. Um but yeah, it wasn't I mean, I'm I'm not a perfect person at the end of the day, and, and I think you and we all can only strive for values. But I think having those as compass to where to go yeah. is, 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 is to hope you could walk that path, right? Yeah. And so even, I, I'll, I'll have to admit, like even as I first kind of dove into this, like I had huge dreams and like it's, you know, called naivete, but I actually was like, oh my gosh, within the next year, we're all going to go full time. <laughs> you know, I had all these dreams. Yeah. And, you know, I think unintentionally, yeah. like, you know, maybe even overpromised myself and our, our, some of our team members, right? And so, but then the reality hit, all of a sudden we're like, okay, like, you know, we got, we got hit the credit card again, you know, like that kind of stuff happens. And you're like, wow, like this is a challenge. We're actually working on a model right now. And so, yeah. 
you know, it's one of those things where it's like a couple of steps forward and like five steps back, but those five steps back is actually where you learn the most. And that's definitely like historically what I've learned. And as long as you have the right people with you yeah, in great company and you're, even you take those steps back, you're looking forward to a, to ultimate vision to do this together, man, those are actually the most enjoyable times yeah. I think in, in, in any journey. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely feeling right now the fe- feeling like the the lessons learned mode, and I mean I wanted to I wanted to go like full time by the end of this year, mm-hmm. and that's like not happening. And after five years, there's this like it's it's disappointing, you know. Like you sit there and go and like, oh well, we're closer than we've ever been, but we're not there yet how much longer till we're there Mm. and what do we got to do to get us over it? And there's, it's, it's, there's no one, there's no one. And I think it's also the thing about like explaining it to people at the same time. Like there's no magic bullet. Like it's, it's a process. It's a field. Um, it's, it's a number of things. And, through that diversity of types of business and income streams um, and the, the faculty with which an individual who's in this domain can, can switch between making something for a brand, making something for an audience of scale, making something for a themed entertainment company, mm. making something for their dedicated fan base. Sure. And gear shift between those modes without grinding themselves down to nothing, right? And hopefully by, and, and this is where the other parts of my work come in, because people, people come to me and like, like, I don't understand how does IDS and NoPro and Leia, how do they all fit together? And I'm like, each of these things is a tool hmm. to build right. this world. Like Leia's, a community project mm. meant to build infrastructure. Right. It's almost like a meta project. Like it's designed to be like the place where we can build other bits of infrastructure and then set those off by themselves to like self-sustain, right? It's supposed to like do that. And what does that infrastructure look like? That infrastructure looks like uh, a good chunk of it looks like training, mm. right? And particularly cross training. So it's not just, bunch of performance training it's not just producing but it's also game design and it's in game theory mm-hmm. and it's uh writing and it's technology it's technology right like getting people really conversant so when a creator uh sits down with a production team and needs to be fluent in a couple of different creative languages mm-hmm. they they can have that and that's something that's one part of the infrastructure. Another part of the infrastructure really is the lobbying efforts around okay. things like permitting, right? Yeah. Um, another part of it is the outreach efforts getting us out to like the theatrical institutions and the brands and the studios and like letting them know that like there is this cadre of people and that it's not just, you know, like there's some, there's some great folks who are out there who are like hustling and like making their way through and sure. really through, but like creating a space where it's like, this is where the industry is. This is where the folks are. It's like, you can meet multiple people. You can come down to a town hall and here's where you're going to find a whole bunch of folks and not just, you know, not just the people who have the time to go out all the time, Sure, you know, 
Cause oftentimes, you know, um, one of the problems is that the folks who are making it don't have the time to go out and, and do it, you know, and, and, and make those connections. And so finding ways to like, instead of, you know, having people have to go out and hustle all the time, creating the, creating the water cooler point where they come in and like, here's where mm. it goes, which is IDS has a similar function, okay. right? You know, um, uh, and that's as much has to do with like, you know, that like the other guys were like, we're going to do this thing. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll come with you guys and we can use my Rolodex and everything else. Um, and then, you know, I mean, no pros there, just that people get a chance to hear about it, you know? And when I get to have fun with it, like, you know, offer whatever insight I can to kind of, you know, reflect back to people what work they're making, mm -hmm. you know, try and understand what people are making and, and, and f reflect that back and help the audience understand as well. Like that's kind of a, a different kind of educational effort, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's a lot of education and some lobbying and some corporate lobbying for the lack of, of, a better term. Um, and, in time, you know, with something like Leia, maybe even insurance pools and all that kind of jazz, right? You yeah, know, like I was thinking about that too. Is there a way to pool resources? Have you guys uh, had those conversations? Because from yeah. what I understand, like most of these are volunteer driven, right? Yeah. I mean, those those, know, those like, conversations exist. I mean, part of part of the issue is like making sure that we've got. And the hardest thing with Leia this year has been, aside from the fact that no one has any time, um, you know for us to legally exist and accept members, we need mm -hmm. to have the bylaws down. Sure. And so we've, the bylaws are, are getting polished by the, the lawyers right now. Um, and it's, it's can be a bit frustrating because, you know, it's just not like, it's not as simple as like, Hey gang, let's put on a show. It's like, that's not the, the same is not true of a 501 C six. Hey gang, let's build a <laughs> trade industry nonprofit. Like that's a little trickier, you know? And, and because there's there's a need for things, there's need for you know safety and practice guidelines, and there's a need for. Um, wait a second, am I hearing? In you the could vent? hear it. That's yeah. chained. That chain I was like, I was like, exactly. I was like, what is it? So often we have late nights in the office. Yeah, and you could hear <laughs> the ghosts. Can they hear? Can they hear us? Yes, you can't hear us. Okay, I hope not. Yeah. That'd be that'd be a weird subtrack. Yeah. If you, well, yeah. Well, we shouldn't talk to them. Yeah, but, yeah they, there's they a won't. reason they can't hear us. But yeah, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because as as we talk about you know resources, database. I mean, has there been initiatives? Because I think there are possibilities where. Yeah. You know, I think perhaps we get a number of folks who has existing shows or even upcoming shows to literally pitch in on some sort of insurance pool or even pitch in on some sort of uh, initiative for the city because there are great consultants out there. Yeah, um, we well, use a group called Pacific Crest, and yeah. they got us so much details. They gave us route A and B. It's kind of like choose your own venture <laughs> and what level of dealings you want with you know Department of Building and Safety. You know, yeah. and so. I think perhaps, and, and it's funny that even when we're, we're talking to them, they did say, hey, how come you guys as an industry don't come together to do that? So I think, you know, Parmi, as, as we're having this conversation, really are, are quite encouraged by all the stuff that's happening, yeah. you know, it, within your peripherals, right? Everything your hands are in right now, it's it's in a way giving these tools. So, yeah. so how do we get, you know, everyone to embrace that big picture and subscribe to it in an active way and how do we clarify the steps needed 
to be able to move the whole industry forward. Because I actually, I mean, you know, a lot, just a real quick note, it's like you look at right now, there's like two worlds, right? There's like the, you know, I would say like the Disneyland, Universal. Yeah. That's like the ocean, right? Right. And then Inverso is kind of a small pond. Yeah. Like how do we chip away at this small pond? I, I, and I, I think there are a, a bunch of attempts to like jump over to the ocean. Mm. But I, I don't know if that's the path. I actually feel like it should be uh, a collective effort to expand this pond. Yeah. So at some point, we actually open up a river to the ocean and then that river becomes what you know double in size down the line and at some point we become part of the ocean so how do we get everyone to subscribe to that because I, I listen to some of your podcasts everyone has similar struggles yeah and so how do we get everyone to talk well so well one one thing that we we committed to um over in the outreach committee in Leia is like we're gonna have monthly convenings yeah. and that's just here in LA like the Leia bylaws, as as we left them, you know, have room for chapter houses. So, folks will be able to uh, start their own, you know, subgroup. I mean, anyone could right now. Like, mm. and then um, in time, if they want to join the body of Leia, like a pre-existing group. So, like, there's a group in there's a group in Denver um, whose name I can't remember at the moment, but like they started meeting. And, you know, at some point once when Leia is like legally incorporated mm -hmm. and can absorb a chapter house, like we can turn to that group and say like, oh, would you like to be a chapter house? And what a chapter house will have is a chapter house will be able to elect someone to the board. Um, Leia's being structured as a membership organization with the idea that um, the, the active professional membership will have will be the voting base that will elect people to the board. And so that we're, we're going to be a democracy. Oh, that's great. We're going to, we're going to route that way. See, I didn't know that. Have yeah. you shared this on the podcast before? No, See, because, because we, we wanted to make sure that, Oh, <laughs> change early on. We wanted to make sure that, we, we had our ducks in a row. Like even right now, I may be like talking a little bit out of turn, right. but I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's how we're going to have the structure when it's all, when it's all said and done. Right. Uh, there's also a very good chance that this episode will air like right around the time that we like, we know for certain. So I might have uh, to like, go like all oh, good. This part, I said this, well, this thing, um, we're, we've spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of care grappling with the questions that that we have about how to take the interest, how to take the energy, and how to make sure that the power is ultimately in the hands of the community of creators and not just being done by fiat, by mm. the in crowd. Because um, I don't want that. Right. Um, the, the hard thing is like on the way to get there, you know, it had to be the people who were, you know, had the most to gain and lose and wanted to be serious and sure. were willing to like really show up. And there's, there's a lot of questions that as a community of creators need to be answered by that community of mm. creators, by that community of producers to do that properly, we need that core infrastructure of this is the place that we have to go do that. Mm. So from a community, just simple community organizing standpoint, 
we're going to have monthly convenings. Uh, odds are they will be in like the second Wednesday of the month at Thymeli or they yeah. might, they might, they might be a little peripatetic and they might move around a little bit, but in LA that's what they'll be. There'll be the door open once we're established and legal to bring other chapter houses on. Uh, we're going to be reaching out to other arts organizations as well as reaching out to, you know, companies and businesses to start convening around some of these bigger questions, right? We are talking with the nightlife coalition that's working on the the permitting thing. They've got more money than, than mm. we do. And so we're already in conversations with them. That's a great and, alignment. Yeah. Right. And we're and working on that, that stuff. Um, we've started doing some data collection internally mm. in that we had, we have an insurance survey that we, that we've got out there where we're trying to collect information about how people have gotten themselves insured in order to create a guide for people at first, like before there can be before a pool, maybe one day, just if nothing else, just like, here's how people have done in the past and what's worked. Sure. Naya, Naya, who works yeah. on delusion, she's been leading up that effort. We've, we've building a database of, for LA of like where everyone um, what districts people live and or work in mm. so that when it's time to move on legislative issues, we can direct people's attention to their appropriate city council member because just a few people calling a city council member can really move the needle on things. And then safety and practices, that committee, you know, we, they've been, you know, they've been working on, some initial draft like best practices guidelines mm. which would then be put out for comment to folks and there's still a survey open there right um and one of the things that was interesting is like when we put those some of those surveys out we had people pushing back and saying like no 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 like don't do this really oh, yeah why i don't understand it huh. like i think i think there's a perception that i mean i do understand it. i think there's a perception that you know someone was going to try to come in and regulate things which mm. just technically is not even legally possible only the government can regulate right right um the goal here is to have a tool by which a independent creator or a large creator can have the support they need to get their work done in a way that's more efficient and that causes them a hell of a lot less grief. Right. What that grief is finding insurance, finding cast members, um, not making some basic mistakes because they've never done this before and they don't, you know, know about, right. you know, basic audience safety or, um, you know, dealing with permits like all those, all those things. Um, and the nice thing is that over the course of this past year, what we have been able to do is run some pretty decent workshops. And we had some, I mean, between the workshops and the meetups, we've had about like 15 events, you know, over the course of a single year, which mm. isn't bad for right. any organization. It's true. That was a lot. It's, a lot. Um, it's like a full-time job. It is. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, luckily like it's not, it's not so bad, but like, um, I look forward to, I particularly look forward to me having more time in this coming year, like kind of juggling the way I'm doing certain things so I can spend more time working on the big community stuff um, that affects everyone and not just working on a couple of specific things. Um, I'm being deliberately vague right now. Well, speak uh, on the new year. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, you, you touch on pretty much like every aspect and as much as possible, probably more than most of us in the immersive space. I mean, what are your like 2019 predictions? Like mm. if they were like at the end of 2019, we're going to do saying, a whole episode of that. <laughs> okay. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm yeah, getting, I'm getting together with like Anthony and Catherine at the end of the I year. I am super curious because I think for me, it's, um, Everyone's seeing the headlines right now. We're, we're recording is end of December, and the headlines are like we're facing another recession. Yeah. So it's really interesting, kind of, as we, you know, look to the last decade or so. It's been one of the longest running, kind of bull run. Uh, yeah. That the market's ever had, and you know, the last several weeks, the volatility has like gone like a wall, and now just downward trend. Right. So yeah. I wonder. For me, like what, you know, what that means for for this experiential world, so, will people go out more? Are they gonna stay home more? I mean, so there's typically only, there's a spike for entertainment, right? Yeah. But I wonder for this in, industry in particular how that's gonna affect you know fall of 2019. I, I mean, the spike for entertainment, I think, is what we gotta count on. Um, I think that naturally there'll be the push to do more with less resources. Mm. This is something that all of us are used to. Sure. Um, no shock there. Um, I think that there's, if one puts an emphasis on the quality of the human interaction side of it, then we're closer to a craft economy. Um, immersive for me is part of the craft economy. Even on the technical side, right? It's about human labor into human hands. Um, the way that craft cocktails or fine dining is. Uh, people have less disposable income, but that just means that, you know, folks making work just to make work, to like just feed the the folks who go to like six shows a month, um, that'll die down a little bit mm. there'll be more emphasis on making something that's going to stick making something so you don't have to like reinvent the wheel all the time mm. and try to head towards longer runs i mean i say that because that's what we've needed all along so i'm optimistic that even if we have a recession mm. that it's just going to get people to focus not on trying a million ideas but on trying the one that sticks mm. and that hopefully we're more like a bar you know, that part of the, you know, the world and that people need it. Um, and it, and it fulfills something in them. Um, you know, people who aren't making people who don't put the care into the work, uh, I think they'll quickly find that they lose their audiences. Um, and so just, you know, be forewarned, like don't, don't just haphazardly throw things together anymore sure like you I, I haven't seen much of that actually i feel like in fact most of the things i've been to has been you know pretty well done and you know eh, there's, so you have not sure you see a lot yeah, yeah there's yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of stuff um there's a lot of stuff that uh because it's known to have you know a short go of it sure. isn't doesn't put in like, you know, the work, right. you know, and it's, again, like something might be ephemeral, right? It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's only going to be for the weekend. And that's a roll of the dice and it's okay. And this is the thing, right? Is like, it's okay to have like a pretty good thing in, in an up, in, a, in an up economy, having a 30, $35, $45 show that was thrown together at the course of like three weeks. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's, that that's, 
that is pretty good is like fine. In a down economy, forget fine's it. not fine's not enough. Yeah. Right? Fine just isn't enough. Um I mean here's the other thing, right? Uh sleep no more and then she fell, emerged out of the shadow of, you know, it's about the 20, 2007 maybe the there was like 2000 around. it was around it was like 2000 2009 2010 2011 and when did they pick up steam was you know it, was it hot from the day one or i mean well, i wasn't really was hot pretty early it. on okay yeah um but you know was it uh you know then she fell has been around for six years um which puts it at uh 2012 got it okay. right um, wow, I didn't know it was so, for that long. Yeah, yeah. And so that's and 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 I believe it was 2011 for. I mean, I'm doing this without my notes. I believe it was 2011 for Sleep No More. Hmm. Um, but that the ART production I think was earliest 2009, right? Okay. So, like 2008 was when the <laughs> when the crash. You Actually, know, it makes a lot of sense. So, I think yeah. I think now that we're kind of reviewing the timeline, you know. If you were to look at Sleep No More, slotting itself into the the nightlife industry, mm-hmm. and even when you know attending them, that's very well run. I mean, yeah. just as far as like their operation and their gears of grease, and you could tell they've they've experimented, they've tried everything, and that's the best way it's run. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I definitely see even their hospitality processes are all in place already. And it's already designed for you know maximal throughput. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're kind of at the verge of that now in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think people are now want to probably see more when they step onto experience more than just you know showing up at some lawn or something. They want to see that there is a, a you know everyone expects a bar these days. Everyone wants to yeah. get a drink, and then now I think the food experience will kind of be a little bit more expansive down the line. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we're beginning of that. So I think all the signs are there that, you know, we're moving into this nightlife industry and being a key part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Carl, how do, uh, how do people hunt down great co? Yeah. So our, our, we recently changed our website, uh, from the great company to in co. Um, the reasoning of that is just, just even for us, it's like, Early on, we didn't really mind that people said, the great company, huh? You're like, you're just so full of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, we have to explain ourselves. Like, no, it's about being a great company. And because we've always said that, we just said, you know, why don't we just change the website so it makes sense? Hmm. So in great.co is where we are. Um, yeah, ultimately, I think for us, is, is here to service the creative community in the immersive space. And, you know, for us, it, it's, it's wherever we see fit. I think for us, there's the most involved version of, of us and delusion and even the peripheral support for uh, activation like chained. And so I think for us is wherever we fit, where we could bring and fill in the, the needs is where we want to be. And, you know, we'll see when we get there. Cause I think we're all on a journey together. And I think that's the best part of it. If we could all, one day look at each other and be like, man, we're doing this full time. Yeah, we made it, you know, and, and we don't need to be like crazy wealthy and have money coming our ears. But I think if we could all say we're feeding our, ourselves, paying rent and some of us being our, our family and kids, then like, yes, we made it. You know, and I think that that's the moment we could all high five, hug and celebrate. So if anything else, you know, I, I hope this kind of postmarks the time when we talk about this and some years down the line or, Months down the line, we could look back and be like, we made it. 
I, I will I will look forward to looking back on this one in, in five years' time and seeing where we're at. <laughs> so, right. Amen. Okay, Carl. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Carl Choi, for being on the show today. Um, this is usually the part of the show where I like wax poetic for a while, but it's the start of a new year. Um, my brain's kind of empty, and I got to save everything for <laughs> for the live show tomorrow. Um, I got to have things to say. Um, it's not that there aren't things bouncing around in my brain; it's just that um, I, I don't want to. I don't like to repeat myself. <laughs> Which is a funny thing when uh, you you have to say the same thing is like every week, every week. Um, I don't mind reading copy that I've written. Um, I just, I, I, traditionally, I haven't even liked repeating myself to like different people, like who maybe had no chance to hear me, right? Um, this, this was an old sort of neurosis of mine from high school that hasn't completely gone away, right? So once I've explained something to one person, it's like, I never want to have to explain it again or even talked about it. You know, like I just, uh, still, still somewhere deep down inside. I've gotten over it, but anyway, point is there's probably things for me to say. I'll say them on the show tomorrow, uh, that we record tomorrow. And, uh, this was like an hour and a half long show anyway. So, eh, um, there's uh, tons of stuff on the website already. Go check it out. Uh, Psych Ward. You should definitely check out Psych Ward. I think we talked about it last week on the show. Uh, my review's up. Uh, we're getting the LA newsletter out. on probably be on Sunday. Tomorrow's going to be a little busy. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. Um, there's some stuff I'm, I'm working on. I'm giddy. So, you know, yeah. Let's do this. Okay. Um... The credits. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. No Persinium is brought to you by listeners like you at patreon.com slash no persinium. Our sustaining backers are Ian Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurstan, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Office facilities are provided by Thymeli Arts in East Hollywood in Los Angeles. Did I say Los Angeles? Good God. Good God, man. Go get some coffee. I did this without coffee. That's why I don't want to talk. I'm Noah Nelson. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. 